Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on the Real Work podcast, our guest is Courtney Carlson. Courtney is founder of Paradigm, a pioneering emotional well-being app, um, which has um, mental health solutions at its heart, but delivered with real people and the human contact of groups. You'll hear all about it and also how she's raised money. Yeah, I mean, we're getting quite a tangle. We get, you know, we go quite deep on wellness and that whole industry, which um, I'm a consumer of, but also a, a, a critique of. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And here's Courtney. Welcome, Courtney, to the Real Work Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Tell us. I've got questions this week. Normally I Amazing. don't. And um, it turns into a ramble through the long grass, which is sometimes rewarding for listeners and sometimes agonizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sometimes literal pain. And, and also, as this series has progressed throughout the year, Everyone has become tired and tired. The pandemic has become more and more entrenched. Work and childcare issues have become more and more testing. And um, we've slowly run out of personality, really, haven't we, Buckets, if we're honest? <laughs> yeah, well, we should, we should just say we're recording this episode late 2021 because this will be going out um, in the new year and we are frazzled frazzled and fried hopefully i'll be on the side of a funding round this time when this comes out and you know what that means courtney tell us about some paradigm and your fundraising experience yeah fundraising i um it's brutal i think there's no there's no way to kind of sidestep um how challenging it can be i think i guess you know we we started out bootstrapping at first which I think that's a, it's a good idea for a little bit. Um, and then the first proper round that we did actually was a crowdfunding round, which I'm very happy about because we chose crowdfunding really because it's a very democratic way of raising money. Um, although I think equity crowdfunding, yes, on Crowdcube in the UK, um, there are only two platforms, Crowdcube and Cedars. And I think Cedars has now been acquired by a larger crowdfunding platform called Republic that's that's in the US. Um, and I really I really enjoyed it. I think it's super democratic, but I think there are there are a couple of things that you need to know before you do crowdfunding. It's not as easy as uploading all your materials and then just getting a bunch of money. There's a lot of work that goes into it and it's almost like running a regular round. So before you even go live to the public, to the crowd, you have to have secured 
I think back in my day, it was at least 30%. I've heard that it's changed now. Uh, It's actually more more close to 50%. We're we're probably going to do one in the spring. And the last time I did it was about 10 years ago with my beer company. And I think I scratched together about 15%. Yeah, it's uh, so you've got to go out to your network and potentially angels first. So you're running a regular, basically a regular, a regular funding round um, with a funnel and a pipeline and making sure you're following up with people and making sure you're sending out all the right comms and info. And then at the same time, you're getting your crowdfunding round ready, um, you know, sending in all the, the video. You've got to do a video. You've got to have your deck ready, your financials. And they actually do DD against every single statement that you make. So everything that you say, uh, so for example, I, I talk about how I managed a, a global handbag division previously. I have to prove that I actually did that. I have to prove, um, I also talk about how I how I increased uh, our revenue by 100% for that division when I, when I was there. I had to show that I could actually, that I actually did that. And so it's very rigorous and you've got to get proof for everything. And then, although yeah, then you run the campaign. Although you do only have to do it once. When I, because when yes. I, when I raised for the beer, that was p- before Crowdcube had um, come under the jurisdiction of um, the, in America, it's the SEC. What is it again in the UK? The fund, the. Oh. And do you know Isn't what came into my mind? F- you know how I got distracted? Yeah, the FSA. It was the FSA, then it changed. The the, um, the SEC won't let me be, or let me be me, so let me see. That's an M&M lyric for you there, Buckus. Oh, yeah. That's what I got I distracted by. <laughs> the SEC won't let... The thing about Dick Cheney while he's, while he's operating, about him having heart bypass. I'm bad at lyrics, but I like that song. Yeah. What anyway. song is that from? And what part of your brain does that live in? <laughs> why is it that you can? Why is it that you can get your head around Eminem lyrics, but you can't get your head around Nasty Gal? That's the real Slim Shady. <laughs> That's the song. It's yeah. good. Will you please stand up? It's a great song. It's a brilliant song. Nasty Gal. I've got to be. I've got to be interviewed by the BBC about Nasty Gal and that whole thing. Boss culture next week. We'll get onto that. Nasty oh, are you girl. doing? Are you doing something on that? That's really interesting. Yeah, I am. But we'll we'll dig into that. May, maybe offline, maybe online, depending how least lipped I'm feeling. Um, because I could, it's still early enough that I could get sacked from the project before it even starts. The oh, wow. um, yeah, what I was saying, Crowdcube wasn't um, audited when I did it the first time, and so yeah. every single potential investor on there could ask you questions and, and get you to prove it. So you didn't prove it once. You pr- had to prove those things infinity times, potentially. Wow. Which meant that you just had people saying, I'm thinking of investing five pounds, but I see that it says that when you were 14, you had a Saturday job cleaning out the stables at horse riding. Have you got your payslips? Yeah. It was literally like that. So it is harsh, wow. but it is better. I agree. I, I like... I like those uh, safeguarding mechanisms that they have in place. It's a fallback thing as well, because as well, I got quite, I got a little bit, a teen, I got a teensy bit trolled when I did it. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. Little, there's a few little tro- trollettes out there. Had a little, there was um, a bit of that because of um, my gender. It was very no much way. a man's world. Yes. And um, they just, some of them out just outright called me a liar. And of course you wow. can't, and that, uh, yeah. 
And it was, um, CrowdCube responded and it was in the forum and they took the comments down and the people were barred. But apparently they had, they used to have a problem that I don't think they've still got it when people would sort of come back and under different usernames and people would get ahead of steam up and sort of start mudslinging. Um, because it was quite controversial crowdfunding was in those days. And um, it, yeah, it wasn't great. And now, of course, you can say everything that's on here, CrowdCube have proved. You know, have they, right. they've, the due diligence is done. And so if they're calling you a lie, they're calling CrowdCube incompetent. So it kind of gives it an extra layer of protection as well from, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, they're so big and established now. This was in the, in the days when it was just three of them in Exeter. And I just, you know, and I just wanted to find out about it. And I just, I um, put, put my pug in the smart car in Borough, headed for Exeter and um, just showed up there at the office and said, hi, there was this crowdfunding business. I quite, yeah, I want a bit of this. Let's do this. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah. I know. And then on the way home, got lost because there was a thick and uncharacteristically thick fog descended over the region. And the only place I was able to get to where I was stranded for three days in the fog was Babington House. It was terrible. No. <laughs> How unlucky awful really so I don't live like that anymore but um those were the days when I was young and relevant this show I've centered myself as usual I won't say anything else about myself tell us about the concept of paradigm and how you came up with it so paradigm is teletherapy um for groups and I came up with it really from my own experience so it started with my own mental health experience um my I come from a, a mixed culture background. My mother is Filipina, my father is Swedish, and their differences culturally uh, led to quite a tumultuous upbringing because they were constantly having clashes about how to do things and how to live. And eventually they got divorced. Uh, and they had the foresight back then to, see, to send me to see my first uh, mental health professional when I was 10. So I saw a counselor when I was 10 years old and she actually didn't work for me, which left me feeling even more confused and misunderstood. And then I spent basically the next 20, 25 years searching for a solution that would work. And eventually I found something that worked, but I just couldn't believe that it took me that long and it was that expensive to find a mental health solution that, that could actually help me make a meaningful change. And so I started to look into... Um, what it means to be evidence-based. So in the science, there's this idea that you can um, practice evidence-based therapy or evidence, basically everything that has uh, proof to show that it actually works. And unfortunately, the, the, the industry is sort of rife with um, therapists and solutions that don't use evidence, which means that we don't actually know whether the solutions work or not. And so there's this story of me trying different things over the course of 20, 25 years is actually super common. And this is why I started Paradigm, so that we could create something really with clear outcomes so that when people come to our solution, they actually know what they're getting. Um, I think that's very important. And we're seeing the rise of evidence-based practice now, which is awesome. Um, in but, psychology. Yeah, in psychology. Yeah, that was really the the beginning of it. And since then, we've launched our app, which we've also published research on the clinical outcomes. So we have the evidence for our, our app specifically. And we're just about to launch in January our, um, our new program, which is the guided coaching program, which our internal research is showing even greater 
outcomes and we'll be publishing research on that as well um and so that's a blended product. We we have this this group component where you 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 come, you join a group. Um, you're focusing on a specific topic like burnout, uh, becoming more aware. You meet with your coach or therapist on a weekly basis, and then you also have twenty four seven access to the app um, in between. So it's really the best of both worlds. I think you know for a long time we've been relying on one to one therapy to take care of our mental health. But actually, there's so much more to it, right? Like there's there's our Who's relationships. We? Who's the Who's we? we? Sorry, we yeah. we the world, as in we humanity. Who's this for? Is what I'm asking. The reason I'm asking is it's very easy. Like I had a, had a you know I had a similar I had a different flavor of um, poor mental health than, yeah. than you, but also I had a similar pathway to recovery. Um, cheaper, I think because I ended up in a 12-step program, which is free. And um, that was kind of the, the, the lion's share of the work was done in there. But um, a lot of, I have a lot of resources. And I wonder when, yeah, who, who we're speaking about. Like, who, who do you have in mind? when you're, who, Whose problem are you solving? We're solving young people's ability to get therapy that actually is modern and works for them. And that's also accessible. Okay. So that's, so, that's I think that's what I was digging for because um, yeah. the branding and the, um, the, the way the concept is packaging and how it ha- packaged and how we access it is something that to someone who's 50 plus might yeah. seem a bit strange and there might be quite a few mental barriers to accessing it. But to um, a let millennium, millennium, to a millennium audience and a Gen Z audience, millennium, um, that would be, you know, that's normal for them. That's their normal, isn't it? Yeah. We're meeting them where they are. I mean, we, we, yeah, we use Zoom. We are on our phones all the time. And now with a pandemic, we're at home more often. So, you know, having a solution that can travel with us or be with us wherever we are is important. Um, you shouldn't not be able to get care just because you can't go into the therapist's office. Um, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't not be able to get connection as well, which we all need as humans, just because we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've got to be easy, accessible. That's also really important to us to remove those barriers do you think that um, people's experience during the pandemic of being forced online for certain um, health and medical related services has helped, helped stopped you having to answer the same doubts over and over? Do you know what I mean? Because th- there's arguments, aren't there, about how, um, um, you know, um, seeing a doctor online is never the same as seeing them in person. And, you know, we, we've had to kind of crack on with that and it's basically been okay in, in you know, in, in lots of ways. And has that, has that helped? Has it taken away some of the um, resistance in your stakeholders when you have conversations with potential stakeholders? I mean, for our, for our users specifically, I don't think it was ever a barrier. You know, I think the people that were our, our community of millennials and Gen Zs, they have they've grown up on, you know, on the internet. And so doing a a Zoom event, a Zoom therapy session, like all of that is pretty common place. And what we really want is convenience, right? Because there's, I think, 
that that's also a big barrier for going to see um, a mental health professional. It's actually it's more than one hour a week because you're taking you're doing the commute to get there. Um, you have to sit there for an hour, whereas this way we're actually able to meet you in your living room. So you're more comfortable in your surroundings where you're comfortable, you're comfortable opening up. Um, so I think for the, for our community, our users specifically, it hasn't been, it was never a barrier anyway. Um, in terms of really where there's the, the main pushback though, comes from therapists. So really traditional therapists, but those aren't necessarily the kinds of therapists that we work with anyway. We're working with sort of, again, modern, younger, um, your qualification sort of baseline. What do you have to be qualified in? Yeah. So it's really interesting in the UK, there's a really low bar. Um, like there's very little regulatory requirements to call yourself a therapist, which is really scary. Um, we work with both, both coaches and therapists. So on the therapist side, we want to make sure people have actually done the full masters. So they it's masters in psychology. Masters in no counseling and psychotherapy. So it's really, you know, it's different. Psychology is super academic. You're learning about these, um, you, you work with a lot of data, you're doing research, you have a good understanding of the sort of- Why people academic, do things. Yeah, why people do things, exactly. And, the, you know, the experiments that have been run and what kind of treatment works and doesn't work. You don't know how to then necessarily connect on a human level with a person. Heal, the healing a person. Yeah. And that's what you're learning. Those, those masters, you're learning techniques and tools um, of what works to actually connect and help people, how to hold space for someone, how to sit there in silence if necessary, how to challenge or not challenge. And those are really important skills. So having that full masters. And then for the coaches, we want them to be um, accredited by a, a well-respected uh, coaching certification. Um, but we do also interview everyone. Um, they go through quite a long interview process where up to the point where they actually have to deliver a workshop to the team uh, because part of what we really care about and what actually is very important to create an evidence-based intervention. So in order to get those actual clinical outcomes, so to increase well-being and decrease depression, anxiety, that empathy and that relationship is really important. So we want to make sure that the people that we're working with really know how to connect online, know how to hold space. They're warm. People feel comfortable with them. Um, so we actually work with them first before we, before we bring them um, to our wider community. I, um, it's funny that def- those definitions, like, it's like, do you, do you know the difference, Buckers? I get a bit muddled. I actually, um, I dated a yeah. psychiatrist and on our first date, I had to admit, I'm not exact, I'm a little bit foggy in the area of like, what's the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and there's this kind of, the, the room turned to ice. There's this frosty silence. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think he only didn't just bin me off right there because he'd come a long way. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's quite there's quite a big difference between these specialties, isn't there? And psychotherapist yeah. as well, isn't there? Because because there's psychotherapist, psychologist, and psychiatrist, isn't there? Yeah. Those, are they three so, distinct professions? Yeah, yeah, they're all different. <laughs> I so, think if the psychiatrist is listening, I can just feel his toes scrunching in his shoes. This is the problem. Like it's a black box. No one really understands what these three things are. Like it, you know. 
I only know because I've been working in this for a few years and, you know, the, the psychotherapist is the person that's working with the client. Psychologist is the academic who doesn't necessarily work with people unless they have a separate qualification. And psychiatrist is a doctor who can prescribe meds. The, the, the issue I was thinking about before we had this conversation is there's so many people, brackets, Prince Harry, on telly talking about, um, you know, my mental health struggles. And what's kind of really glaring is that a lot of the time they're talking about, um, um, yeah, sort of low-level anxiety, sort of slight social anxieties that we have or repetitive behaviours or uh, trouble sleeping. But there's a sliding scale and then there's acute mental health at this end. And it seems to me that there's still enormous taboo around even talking about that stuff, mm. you know, because, you know, the acute, acute sort of psychosis and in the, in the community, when you see this, this is kind of very different. And just as you acknowledge that people are quite muddled about what different people do, it seems that um, the goopification of this industry, the commercialization of some of this service delivery has muddied the waters over what we're actually dealing with. You saw early on to try and be very clear about that. Is, is this why? Because you're moving into an industry where there is um, a lot of quackery. Yeah, basically. I The way that I like to frame it is there's wellness, which is this similar idea to you know, to taking care of yourself, but there's no science behind it. And then there's well-being, which actually is a scientific psychological term. And we err on the side of well-being. We care about the science. It's hard because I think everybody has to do what is, what feels good. And actually a lot of the, what could be perceived as quackery, like crystals and, um, you know, even meditation. Yeah, Eastern philosophy. That That's the problem because... On the on the side of high hard science is this sort of tacit accusation that straying into anything esoteric or that has yet to be proven by science right. Um, right. undermines rational thought. Right. And Which... so that you kind of have to choose. And 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 also so we, we go into this kind of male, female type yeah. thing within the patriarchy because over here on the Eastern philosophy side, um, we talk, you know, people talk a lot about, um, um, you know, the wisdom of nature and the wisdom, yeah. you know, of of ancient herbs and healing and stuff that's, in, you know, inherited wisdom, collective memory and all that kind of stuff. But because it hasn't, we haven't found a way of measuring it, um, saying I did this and I believe it, it's it sort of undermine it, it undermines the sanctity of this side it's quite it's quite complex isn't it yeah it's really complex i actually do believe in a lot of the eastern stuff and some of it is starting to be proven the issue is that you know you have to find funding to to run the clinical trials to prove some of this and most of the time you know these shamans or whoever they're not going to they're not going to do that. They're not going to pitch um, to the Sacklers to get some. Right. I think we all need to figure out what works for us. Like ultimately that's what we're trying to, to show is that 
this, historically we've we've thought that the therapist is going to tell us what we need to do and who we need to be, but that is just not the case. They're actually there to hold space for you so you can figure it out for yourself. And so if crystals works for you and you find some daily happiness in looking at your crystals on a regular basis, then you should continue to do that. And that's what we're trying to, to sort of show people at Paradigm is that you've got to listen to, to how you feel. Um, and then there's all the science that, that backs that up as well. But listening to yourself and um, feeling good within your body. And if you like to do all that kind of more wishy-washy stuff, then you should do it. I think it's okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very, it's all very muddled, really. It's, and it, but it's a beautiful industry, I think, just trying to help people feel better about, you know, about their lives and um, become the people they want to be. There was a kind of split off, wasn't there, whereby in when the World Health Organization was founded, I think maybe around 1950 or something like that, their part of their mission was um, the idea that um, health was not just the absence of disease. So prior right. to that, our way of thinking had kind of been binary. Either you're well or you've got something that needs to be cured. And that they um, came forth with this idea that there was um, you could become more well, you know, w- wellness, you know, was a was a constantly moving state and you could become more or less well, which is really interesting and empowering. But also at the same time for um, tasty capitalists, <laughs> it yeah. it um, it creates a window of opportunity for us to monetize that sliding scale because the worried well can say, I, I could always be weller, you know, like mm. we can say I could always be richer or I could always be this instead of maybe our grandma thinking, yeah, I'm fine. I'm well, yeah, I'm well, I'm not, I'm not injured. I'm well, I'm okay. I'm not thinking about it, just carrying on living their life. It's like, well, I am well, but I think I could be weller. And then the idea that there's a, so so there's a thing about how capitalism sits with that, isn't it? And, I, you know, yeah. and I say this as a consumer of this stuff as well, because, yeah, I, I, I have that thing in myself. I'm extremely what I'm extremely well, really, really well. Right. But I do think I still get attracted to these things. And it's um, a dehydrator or it's, a, you know, a different thing of a piece of elastic you put around your leg and then your arm goes up. And then you know, <laughs> I think it measures your eyelids or this red eye thing that you've read. Yeah. LED like I'm so well, but maybe I could be weller. You know, I think that there, there are two trains of thought for me. here. There's one there's these, this whole movement of like the optimization of self, which is what it sounds like you're attracted to like the, the group of people that actually want to measure everything that they're doing. And they just want to show that upward trajectory. And that, that also, I, you know, we could argue that that kind of feels a little bit like a a subsection of of burnout, burnout culture, right? And that's not when I'm at my, my wellest or happiest, which is when I'm, when I'm, you know, free of the self and I'm, I'm not thinking about myself. That does happen, Buckers. There's times in the day when I'm not thinking about myself or talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, it does. It happened a week or so ago. I'll let you know when the next time it's happening. The um, I talk about myself too much. I put it in my Google me. calendar. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yeah, I just I'm I'm concerned. 
the, the in terms of modeling a business like this it's so interesting because um you need in order to scale and provide value to your shareholders you need more users and you need more on people who are measuring themselves as unwell and needing your service so there's a there's a there's a thing in there there's a mechanism in there as well that's interesting yeah, I mean, I, the way that I see it, though, and I've been, you know, I've been in therapy and coaching for, I mean, yeah, 25 years now. We are, as humans, like we're consistently going through various challenges. So, you know, in our 20s, we're trying to figure out who who are we as professionals. Um, we're trying to figure out how to pick the right partner, probably making a lot of mistakes. I know I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I was figuring out in my 20s how to melt half a block of cheddar into a can of beans. Well, that sounds terrible. much more fun than what I was I mean, doing. Um, really bad news. I mean, how to make a toasted cheese sandwich in the toaster. Oh, my God. I know. Don't do that. That is possible. Did you, did you figure it out? Like, it, what's the answer? Proof paper, isn't it? Sandwich no, I didn't, we didn't have anything like that. Oh my God. Um, It was bad in those days, Courtney. Yeah, I just to just to your previous point, like we are going through issues all the time. And what was a challenge, you know, in our 20s, changes in our 30s, and then changes again in our 40s. And having a solution that you know actually works, that's reliable, that's built in in a good way, where the people actually care about your health, I think that's really important. Um, because it's confusing, right? It's confusing to, to figure out how to pick a therapist, how to pick a coach. At what point do I need either of those things? So what we're doing is we're building something that takes out all that confusion and we, we've created a program and we have coaches and therapists. And if you're feeling burnt out, we've got something for you. If you feel like you just want to dig deeper into who you are, we've got another program for you. Um, and just like Crowdcube, you've done some due diligence. And yeah, so yeah, the user, done, if they're yes. feeling below par anyway and overwhelmed you've done that due diligence and so once they have a relationship with you and they connect with you they know also there's apps like that are really blazing a trail like headspace yes which you know which is it's quite compelling as an offer i have to say headspace i i like my um meditation and yeah a little bit more um um eastern personally i like yeah. um yeah, I like um, some sort of traditional um, yoga meditation and stuff. But Headspace yeah. as a concept, bringing those, bringing those ideas into a way that is accessible f- for all and easy to understand. You know, there's people who are, you know, you're, you're not right out the front, which is a relief. They've made space for businesses like Paradigm, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, they've definitely made space... For, I mean, they, they were really the pioneers in this industry and in, in bringing it into the mainstream. Meditation is a, is sort of the first step for kind of people that are well and want to be weller uh, and wellest, exactly. Um, and what, what we're doing is taking care of the average person all the way up to that weller person. But I think this also goes back to your point around that, what the WHO mentioned uh, in terms of, you know, just because the the absence of illness doesn't mean that you're healthy, right? Um, And for me, well-being means living a life that you're excited about, 
picking the partner that supports you, that's good for you and for your growth and, you know, being somewhat content on a regular basis and actually being energized to go to work, being energized to meet the people that you're friends with, enjoying your marriage partnership, whatever it is, or enjoying just being on your own as well. Um, that's what well-being is to me in its most simplest form. And I think everyone should be able to have that. Before we ask you what you do for fun, you've got one more thorny question, just while we've got you. So I kind of know some of these answers because we've spoken before, but I think it's interesting to un- it's interesting to unpack it, is the idea that if clever people like you work hard to provide solutions like this, which are widely proliferated um, amongst um millennials and gen z i worked hard to pronounce it properly then um (laughs) shouldn't we as i mean older generation gen x and boomers shouldn't we be keeping our house in order so that we're creating a society where they're not so ill that they need it isn't it putting isn't it putting the responsibility on them to pay for and access and solve their own problems instead of society saying why are they feeling anxious why are so many young people addicted insecure anxious turning their light switches on and off making terrible decisions and you know why is that happening and looking like further up the food chain and do you see what I mean yeah I think I see what you mean I would say from so from what I understand is are you basically asking about kind of parenting and how that's impacted the younger generation? I, I just I think I'm asking um, if you say, look, there's this app and you pay this amount of money and then it solves your problem for being anxious. Like when I was at the age of um, when I was 20 or 25 and I was mentally ill. OK, let's call a spade a spade. Um I went to my GP, there was various services that were accessible Mm. to me. And I had, I was on a waiting list for about six weeks before I spoke to a um, a woman, you know, I got a choice of a man or a woman psychotherapist. I got, there was stuff available that is less available now. There were pressures on me with regard to rent and education the pressures are worse now so for example when I was at university you didn't no one had to pay tuition fees and um your parents had to be fairly well off to actually have to pay for your accommodation so so that there's just like societal kind of pressures and you know illness and all those kind of things they've got worse on my watch on our watch and I feel like, are we are we solving the wrong end? Should we put all this, our talent and intelligence and application into changing um, the system, like the Greta Thunberg end? Should we be up her end? Greta, the young girl? Yeah, you know, she's going to want to change the world in her lifetime. You know, from, from you know, from, she wants to change everything about how we live because it's killing us all. There's yeah. that end. And then there's here saying, yeah, the world is making you sick, but if you do... If you take part in this app, you're not going to feel as bad. I just wonder if it's too individualistic. Well, and this, yeah, I I think that you need to find a balance, right? There, there is a, a responsibility for each person to take care of themselves and know what works for each of them. And, you know, really only you can take responsibility for that. So 
actually parent will never say we'll solve your problems we never say we will make you act less anxious we can and we can show you the tools that are proven to do that and we've had results um but it, ultimately it's down to us as individuals and then there's the other side of the spectrum which is also why we do groups where there is this social aspect of mental health because ultimately why do we why do we want to get better why do we want to feel more sane why do we want to be able to communicate better and understand others better it's really for the relationship side of things whether that's personal relationship, work relationship, parental relationships. Um, yeah, we were built to connect. Uh, for me, I mean, that was my motivation to get to get mentally healthy was because I, I'd had multiple boyfriends tell me the same, I had the same feedback from each of them. And at a certain point, I decided, okay, probably should take a look at this and figure out what's going on. We're very um, curious to know what the feedback was now. They told me I was too volatile emotionally. So I was going up and down and up and down. The, the and, o- oversensitive um, to things. No, no. I just really emotional. Like one day I could, one second I could be really on top of it, like happy. And then the next I'm like really angry. Yeah, mood, mood swings basically, which isn't, you know, it's not not nice to be around. It's also not, it, it actually, when I when I realized how to regulate that, it, I I understood that actually I was putting so much so much effort into the up and down. It was so uh, exhausting, and yeah, thankfully I've managed to um, to improve on that a lot. And I found a I great partner. That. It's, thank you for sharing all this stuff. It's quite it's it's really interesting. It's a subject that I have lots of mixed feelings about because I know that my own appetite for this stuff is you know quite intense and I'm also quite competitive so it's a real I mean I'm in the learning is what I'm saying in terms of you as a person Courtney you are you know talking about significant funding rounds and all this sort of business learning moving things forward it's pretty compelling so um for the purposes of the lead of the of the listeners not the readers the listeners um let's see um some weakness what do you get wrong Courtney what balls are you dropping what's not happening or tell us something like you secretly watch below deck or that kind of thing or you smoke on Sundays what is it I mean I, I do a lot of things wrong I, I I definitely still have a tendency to be oh sorry about that oh that's fine you get you leave, leave your beepers on in great timing in, in award-winning podcasts <laughs> sorry you forget to turn your beep off that's great that's good <laughs> You know, what? I actually don't. For some reason, I turn it on Do Not Disturb, and those things still come up. Do you know what mine think... was? This is going to show you. This is going to give you a glimpse into my wellness journey. Mine was my wearable glucose monitor telling me oh, that wow. it needs replacing by tomorrow because I keep my blood glucose within a range of four point nine to six point nine for optimum wow. health and control of perimenopausal symptoms. Wow. That's awesome and incredible that you... Have you seen them? Have you seen them? That's amazing. Just for the purpose of the listeners, Fleur is now removing um, several layers of clothing. <laughs> oh, my wow. gosh. Wow, that's a little, like a little white disc on the back of your arm. Yeah, and it's got like this tiny needle that's sort of flexible <gasps> that goes into the interstitial fluid oh, and measures your blood glucose and sends it to an app and you can put alarms on so you learn... Basically, the concept is that the way we live now, the way our diets are, um, um, many of us are insulin resistant because of eating um, bad food when we were younger. 
add on top of that our body's response to insulin as a, as we approach menopause and our hormones change it means that too often um, our blood glucose spikes and then that triggers all different kinds of events in our body and makes us ill and so if you can learn what foods to eat and when which is different for everyone and keep your blood glucose from spiking then all your other health problems go away which they kind of have done that's really cool all other health problems should I just go into my entire medical history? Can do. You know, I'm an open. <laughs> no, I just that's a bold that's that's a bold claim. I know, I know. I'll send, I'll send you. I'll send you. I know who it is, but things like um, <laughs> we'll put Fleur's medical records in the show notes. <laughs> show notes. <laughs> oh my god, this is going to get. I want to look into this. the weirdest podcast. It's incredible. The I had like a, a sort of pimples on my neck. For, for a lot of my life and had masses of treatment, all kinds of expensive outside beauty treatments, yeah. dermatological, blah, blah, blah. All of it just goes. All the expensive face treatments, it all just goes. Anyway, the question was, we yes. want to find out about how you just kick back and, you know, or in the ordinary person world, you know, how long you leave your dishes, what crummy TV you watch and how oh, that's Yeah, that's a big clue, actually. I'm super messy. I'm messy and my husband, it drives my husband really really crazy um my rationale is that it's just not a priority like it's not a priority to tidy everything and to you know I'll get to it at some point but it's just I'm not really good at cleaning up after myself immediately which really drives him up the wall um so that's one thing what do I like to do I mean I do I enjoy going out conspiracy theories you get involved in that anything like that anything dodgy online reading gossip columns that kind of stuff gossip sometimes you know when i usually when i'm at the airport i like to buy heat and grazia that's my those are my two magazines always at the airport though i don't really buy it except for when i'm at the airport for some reason that's like when gwyneth paltrow says she has one cigarette a week and it's american spirit i've got a thing about gwyneth paltrow it comes up a bit in this podcast yeah what do you not like about her? Well, she's the wellest and I'm the second wellest. So, <laughs> you know, we're I think neck. she gets a bad reputation. I actually think she's great. Like, I think she's trying really hard to be an interesting person. Like, she's, you know, she's, a, she's an amazing actress. She's also managed to build this huge company. She's experimenting. She's, she sure. seems to be we've a run great, out of time. great mother. Because it's looking tense because we've run out of time. However, oh, fine. we have to, I mean, I just can't. I can't let that slide without pushing back after we've done the hard science, but she's the queen of quackery in terms of taking very, very dubious things and attaching the glamour of her fame and beauty to it, which gives things credibility. For example, you know, the old, but the uterine steaming device, which is basically a reconfigured rice cooker and you shouldn't squat over it. Oh my God. I mean, so I, I yeah that's that's bad that is we can't all be perfect we can't, we... but I think she does a lot of this though to get a rise out of people she likes the kind yeah, of she does she gets a rise out of lawyers and she doesn't mind because she can afford to sue them and Fleur Emery right <laughs> I guess the, pro- the problem is when people believe her this is a whole other podcast isn't it we've just <laughs> we've gone on <laughs> this can be our spin-off yeah <laughs> Thank you 
you for, Thank for, you. For, for taking your drilling. It's just, this has been really interesting. And um, tell us about what's coming next with Paradigm. What stage are you at now? Yeah, so we are working on launching our group's product um, in January at scale. We've been testing it over the past year, making sure that it, you know, it's working, people are enjoying it, testing out different formats and lengths. And now we are ready to launch in January. Um, and we're very excited about it. I think it's it's a new way of taking care of yourself, this blended groups with the app. And yeah, I'd love to actually offer your listeners a, a discount on subscription. Thank you very much. That will be in the show notes along with my detailed psychiatric record. Awesome. You've been a super guest. Thanks a lot, Courtney. Thanks, Fleur. It's been great. Thank you so much. Bye, Buckers. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work, and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 